Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine, and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face, you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? And welcome to episode three of Girls on Film, the movie review show from a female perspective. I'm your host, Anna Smith, and on this week's show, I'll be talking to Carrie Mulligan about her starring role in the 1960s period drama Wildlife, as well as reviewing the Netflix film Been So Long. Joining me in the studio today are two very special guests, Oscar-winning producer Mia Bays, who is director-at-large of Bird's Eye View, the agency that campaigns for greater gender equality in film. You're a hero, Mia. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. And I'm also thrilled to introduce one of the UK's most versatile and generally brilliant actors, and that is Andrea Riseborough. I loved her in everything from Never Let Me Go to Battle of the Sexes, and she's now starring in and producing the psychodrama Nancy, which is out on video demand. Welcome, Andrea. Thank you. Hi. Well, Andrea, Nancy is a film directed by Christina Cho that has a lot to say about identity, truth, connection, loneliness, many things. Could you kind of set up the story for the listeners, please? Yeah, certainly. She's um, the product of a woman who lives in the social media age and she's desperate for human connection. She goes about it in all of the wrong ways. But they are they're quite wonderful ways as well. She's she's like madly imaginative. Um and it's hard to tell with Nancy. She lives in the suburbs. She's kind of disconnected from having real friends and deep relationships. And she lives in a house with her mom and a cat called Paul. And it's difficult to know where the boredom ends and where mental health issues perhaps begin. I think that I might be your daughter, Brooke. Who is this? Not a joke. My name's Nancy. And I think that my mother might have kidnapped me 30 years ago. It would explain a lot of things in my life. We both want to meet you in person right away. I've arranged for a private investigator. He'll do a DNA test, ask some questions. Results should be ready in two or three business days. I'd convince myself you were living with some nice family somewhere. Been waiting for Brooke for a really long time. I just don't want to see her get hurt. One thing that the director actually put in the press notes has really intrigued me, and she said, we haven't been taught to empathise with flawed women the way we have with flawed men. And I think that is so true that we are conditioned in the way that we watch films. We've all known that we've been growing up asking to identify with male heroes, and many of those are quite complex, but we just don't see as many complex women on screen. Yeah, and I'd, say, I'd go further as to say, you know, not only conditioned, but really expected to empathise with flawed men. Um, to the point where it's so natural. You know, every superhero in a cape is a flawed individual who just happens, you know, it's hammering the world, but he's still lovable or, you know, whatever Thor's doing. I don't know what Thor does. I don't. I think, think that sums it up pretty well. Right, but he has a hammer, right? <laughs> and, um, and it's just such a natural uh, setup for cinema. It, and, it's, and it's, apart from anything else, I think it's a real disservice to women just because it... it it perpetuates this very negative and narrow idea that women are either pure, whatever the hell that means, or they're innately flawed and so therefore should be hypersexualized or demonized, which is a really uninteresting way to look at 
more than half of the world's population, I think. Definitely. Mia, what did you respond to in this film? What I loved about Nancy was that there was no diagnosis of her, of, of, we, we're usually asked to, to understand a really kind of complex set of reasons and motivations behind female characters in a way that, as Andrea's kind of explained and set up, you aren't usually with male characters. And I loved that Nancy, we don't know really anything about her other than a few kind of key morsels. And Andrea does such a beautiful job of imbuing her with such richness and such an inner life. And I just love that you really don't know what, is up with her and so and you really invest in her as a result of that and that felt so fresh to me I think that's a really good point and I think that to me that adds the mystery thriller element of it I mean there are mysterious elements to it you know the issue isn't she how much to what extent is she lying but also you're just trying to suss her out via your wonderful performance what is this what do you want to Becca you look so different there are things that you don't know what the hell's going on that I haven't told you Nancy everything okay you're sick People get taken from you just like that. Nancy! Stop! Why would you do something like that? Now, um, this isn't just written and directed by a woman, but all the department heads are female, right? And the total production crew, is it right that 50% are black and minority ethnic and 80% female? 80% female, 60%. Yeah, fantastic. DLC. Yeah. How do you feel that impacted the atmosphere on set? I mean, it was it was just a very different dynamic. Um I've talked about before, and I th and again, I think it's important to talk about. There was nothing that you couldn't ask our crew to do. You know, there was nothing that they they, they were so willing to prove themselves in ways that I hadn't really hadn't been in that environment before, where people had so wanted to prove themselves. And also, there's something a little sad about that. That's not a judgment on the on those people. That's that's a judgment. That's a judgment on society as a whole. That um, those people, for whatever s ridiculous reason, have just not been given the opportunity to be heads of department. It doesn't make any sense given the amount of time they've all worked in the industry. It doesn't make any sense given the amount. I mean, half of them were from some of the best film schools in the world. But for but for a lot of people, it was their first time as head of department, and so and so that was it. Was a really extraordinary experience a very um gentle experience it was really hard in many ways it was really really hard we were shooting in the bleak midwinter upstate new york well mia let's talk a bit about this issue the difficulty of women who are extremely capable very well trained and then suddenly they hit a wall what's that about in your experience because you obviously work with a lot of female filmmakers Oh, there's just such a myriad of issues, you know, some of which are, you know, societal, some of which are film specific, some of which are also how much, you know, misogyny is also internalised and, and manifests in ways that affect confidence in one's ability to put oneself forward. That's You find that consistently, often with women. And there's just so many myriad barriers as well so you know the last year we've just been talking and raging about this and it's not a surprise to anybody anymore and so I feel like we're turning the corner and then you know with people like Andrea producing and, and with people like Barbara Broccoli coming on board Nancy and using her kind of power to really you know reflect backwards things will change it's it's a good time but we've got to keep the struggle going. Andrea, as an actress, how do you feel things are changing in terms of the sort of roles that women are getting offered and perhaps the kind of etiquette of casting? Um, 
Thing, things have changed dramatically. I mean, dramatically, really positively in the sense that now you can enter into a contract, uh, you can negotiate a, a contract, and if I'm playing number one and the guy's playing number two, even though the guy may have got the film financed, his name, because there have been more opportunities and, and, and my name might not have got it financed or might be part of the financing but not a lot, not as large a part, I, I can still get paid as much as him. And that doesn't sound like it's a huge leap, but it's a massive leap. Um, you know, I have many times been in films where I've been the lead and I've sort of been in every day, every in every frame of the film and have been paid less than the guy playing opposite me and and the guy paying, playing opposite me was was the person who secured the funding for the film you know it, it, not personally but just his uh, his, his fame or his level of his part yeah. his the film gets made on condition that he is part of it because that's something that they feel will sell it's it's all just really maths um but i think what that does long term and, and what, what it's really again important to talk and think about is is what that does to you psychologically because I think when you're in that position over and over again the damaging thing about that is that you are being told that your time's worth less you are being told that even though you're there perhaps for a longer time you know that your time is less valuable and deferring to actors who have huge long careers and of course are getting films financed you know when you're not as as a younger actor of course you think that's totally appropriate, you know? And then it gets to a certain point where you see, or I or I saw as a woman, it just never really changed. There was never that tipping point. And I think that's happened for a lot of us, people who make film in my sort of position. We all sort of had that realisation collectively and it was almost like one of those um, coming together moments of, oh my God, it's that bad. Because the way that we coped with it was largely denial. Yeah. Not to say that there wasn't awareness, that was always there, not to say there wasn't frustration, not to say that it wasn't affecting us getting further jobs because we were bitter and angry, you know, but it's almost impossible to imagine what things were like before Time's Up now, which is an incredible, in itself, a huge leap. So I think we're really moving in the right direction and we've got so many fantastic you know this generation coming up and you know all the generations at the minute we're allies I feel like we're moving into this together people don't want to be separated the patriarchy was working for no man you know so it's it's really time to to move forward and just get to a place where we can afford people more opportunities so that then we can have a more level playing field and also that speaking out on these issues like pay doesn't mean that you're being difficult and that whole requirement that also going back to the question about crew and representation that you know you're asked to take up less space and when you resist that you're then branded as difficult well they just hire someone else yeah exactly exactly and there is always that you know if talking about negotiations you know going into something negotiating I mean yes of course there were things that I could negotiate before was normally about whether there'd be a loo in my trailer or something you know what I mean Uh, I mean big stuff (laughs) (laughs) but like but now I'm in an incredibly fortunate position I mean I'm in the top percentile in terms of people who you know get to do work and travel so 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 fortunate so if only now I'm able to 
fight for that, then, and this is why Time's Up really came about, um, we need to turn up the volume of, of those who really don't have the same platform as, as we do to be able to say, like, it's happening in every sector, in every industry. I think that's the most exciting thing to me about Time's Up is seeing women come together and men to help each other and to support the same cause, which actually people just kind of seem to exist in their own little universes before some people. I think I've spoken to actresses that said that they felt competitive with other people and they wanted to sort of keep jobs to themselves, keep information to themselves that may not apply to everyone. But to see everyone at Time's Up meetings all working together on all sides of the industry and coming together with the same goal is just invigorating and strengthens everyone. That's why we want to do Girls on Film to have women talking about film as well and female film critics helping each other and giving each other airspace. So thank you both for being here to discuss it. Yeah, I mean, just to pick up on that point, I mean, what kind of the, the best way to maintain the status quo is to make everyone feel like they're in competition with each other and then, you, and then everyone's isolated. And that does feel like I definitely feel like I really strongly remember the before and after time's up you know because that is what it was like where you did feel rivalrous with people and everyone did withhold all the information about their their own projects and and their slates and what they were doing and it's really problematic because it just keeps everyone it holds everyone back in this really uninvolved space and and look what it took well, Nancy is very honest and authentic, so we want to point people in the right direction to see this. It's out now on all major platforms, including iTunes, TalkTalk, BT, Amazon, Sky, Google, Microsoft, and it's also got a limited run in cinemas later this month, so go see Nancy. So Mia, at Bird's Eye View, you put on special screenings. Uh, the latest one is Been So Long. I think it's refreshing on many levels. It's a romantic musical set in Camden. It's directed by a woman. Tinge, is it Tinga Christian? Have Tinge you, Christian. Tinge, thank you. Stars Michaela Cole and Arinze Kenne. This is Camden, where everyone has a story. Who is it against the whole wide world? Me and you. Exactly, it is me and you. Love is ferocious, love is a virus, love is deep space and the bottom of the ocean. fantastical monsters climb and feel. You're tense, you know why? Because you never let nobody rub up on you, giving you a transcending experience. I want a transcendent experience, I'll go to church. I kind of think, like, if you imagine Baz Luhrmann directed La La Land in Camden with a tiny budget and a diverse cast, it's somewhere in the, in the right region. Uh, Mia, why did you choose this film for Bird's Eye View? Um, it took me six months actually to cut, to convince uh, Netflix to uh, let us do the theatrical run, which we've got exclusively, by the way, just to um, underscore the importance of that. Congratulations! And um, it just felt just so refreshing on so many levels, as you said, like the fact that it centres two black characters who are falling in love. We don't tell those stories in the UK. It's just... Akala introduced the film the other day, who's just mind-blowing on many levels, but the one of the things he said was, this film is the most political British film of the year because of that fact. It features two black people falling in love and is about some other things, but is really mainly about that. And that's so radical. We don't tell those stories. And so... That was a big one. Arinze Kenne, I commissioned his first film, um, Freestyle, back in 2010. So I've followed him ever since. And I, I don't literally followed through the streets, but <laughs> I wouldn't in a blame stalkery you if kind you did, of way. But, but yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, and I just always knew he was had star quality. I obviously love Michaela Cole. 
I knew the producer, Dean Marsh Edwards, very well. I'd seen the original musical. So as soon as I heard about it and knew it was finished, I followed up. I knew about the Netflix deal and that it may not get theatrical. And so basically, together, we convinced Netflix that it would be really good to, to do a theatrical run. And I'm so happy because it... It plays so well. When you get the audience in there who really don't see themselves on the big screen very often, it's it's powerful in the room. What kind of response have you had? Really kind of whooping, hollering, saying, I just haven't ever experienced a British film like this before. It just shows that for commissioners, all backers of film, anyone in any position of power, that whole myth... It's just such a myth that actually, you know, you can't centre black characters or people of colour, you know, anyone who's like underrepresented, that it's that risk word. I was talking to someone the other day who actually said when she hears that, the R word, she actually hears racism, um, the risk word, uh, that it's just such a myth and that has been sort of created and held on to for a long time that actually... You know, people don't want to go and see that. It's also very patronising for white audiences, for instance, to say that I'm, I can't watch something where, where two black characters are being centred and I'm not represented on screen. That's ludicrous. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm white and I watched it and I loved it and I thought it was a kind of a colourblind film and you saw it, it's very integrated, people chatting to each other. And race isn't really an issue, nobody talks about it. It's just Camden because Camden is very multicultural. There's some lovely scenes with George Mackay, for instance, in this as well. Yeah, I thought it was really uplifting. I didn't think it was a perfect film, a bit broad in places. The musical element doesn't seem sort of like it necessarily needed to be there but I think you're right it feels exciting because it's exactly the kind of film that we should be seeing on screens more and clearly resonates with audiences who are massively underserved I mean Andrea do you think that we need more of this kind of thing in cinemas I think we need more of everything uh, you know we've, we've just been had the we've just been reflecting one very small portion of society for such a very long time it's getting it's 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 I think it's like a little creepy actually <laughs> even though it goes far to say that the the British period drama is is a little creepy, that it's a very, uh, you know, and I've been part of it, exclusive. It's understandably sellable to America, but really, really damaging to the UK when we have a much more diverse and interesting population here. So we think people should definitely watch Been So Long. Uh, Mia, when are you doing any more screenings of this that people can watch? So we're actually literally on tour with the filmmakers and the cast. And so we've got um, November 5th, Bristol, Plymouth on the 7th, Birmingham on the 9th, Leeds on the 16th and Glasgow is the last one on the 23rd. So literally it's one night only in all of those places. So catch it while you can with us. Also out this week is Wildlife, the directorial debut from the actor Paul Dano. It's an assured, absorbing first feature written by Dano and Zoe Kazan. Based on a Richard Ford novel, it stars Carey Mulligan as Jeanette Bryson, a bored wife and mother who finds a job and newfound independence while her husband, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, is working away. It's a compelling drama with a riveting turn from Mulligan as a complex, unpredictable woman who's a bit of a departure from many of her other roles. Here's my interview with Carey. You know what they call trees in a forest fire? Fuel. You know what they call the trees left up when the fire goes by? They call them the standing dead. Mom's dead. Is dead okay? Of course he is. His pride got hurt. That happens sometimes. 
Kerry Mulligan, thank you so much for speaking to Girls on Film. Thank you for having me. It is an absolute pleasure. Um, Wildlife is a terrific film. One of my favourite films that I saw in Cannes this year, in fact. Oh, thank you. We've just been talking to Andrea Risby about complex women on film mm. and how we so rarely see these kind of flawed but really interesting women. Mm. Is that one of the things that I try to do to this project? Yeah. Um, massively. What I loved about this film is that this is this starts with a kind of perfect family and then pretty early on the husband um, and father role played by Jake Gyllenhaal uh, decides to go off and fight a wildfire um, sort of to try and find himself um, and where most films would follow him to the fire and watch him being very brave this film stays at home and watches what happens to the character that I play. Um, and she has a real time of it. And it's uh, and she doesn't make all the right moves and she really struggles. Um, and she exposes kind of the worst parts of her personality and some of the best. But she's just a completely complicated, rich, interesting mess of a person. <laughs> you know, like we all are. Um, and I love that about her. Exactly, and I also love that when I saw the film in Cannes, as, as is often the case, you don't know where it's going to go. Yeah. And I assumed we're going to follow Jake, and it was yeah. such a wonderful relief and excitement, fantastic as he is, yeah. to stay with your character and see yeah. it focus on the woman and the relationship with her son mm. as well. Yeah, and it really is all told through his eyes, through the eyes of the son, so you are experiencing it as he experiences the, the world. Now this is uh, co-written with Paul Dano by Zoe Kazan. Do you think it's important to have women on board when writing female roles like this? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think men can do great jobs of writing women. I think all too little time is spent on female characters a lot of the time. Um, this film took four years for them to write. They passed it between them for four years. And I think Zoe, you know, this was Paul's first script, but Zoe's an incredibly experienced screenwriter and playwright. Um, so I think, yeah, definitely having the two of them together and also writing, you know, having been in a long-term relationship themselves, they understand the dynamics of that kind of relationship. But I do think having a woman on board is, you know, there's a depth to the, the role that comes from understanding what it's like to be a woman. I watched one interview where some male interviewer asked you if you thought your character was selfish, yeah. which I thought was a strange question because I really don't think she's at all. But you gave a brilliant answer. But would you like to address that now? Just, you know, there is a, there's a huge part of this that is just survival instinct. You know, it's 1960. So it's not even midway or late into the 60s. It's 1960. She doesn't have an education. She doesn't have a skill set. The best job she can get is a swimming teacher. Um, which pays nothing, and she's got a 14-year-old. So, you know, when her husband decides to wander off and go and fight a fire on a whim, she's left to pick up the pieces. And I think part of that is like, right, I've got to pay rent. I've got to find somebody who can pay my rent so that like, my son doesn't have to be homeless. I've got to do this on my own now. She's been used to being provided for by her husband for 14 years. Now she's on her own. Like, how do I do that? I need to dress differently. I need to, you know, so I don't think she is being selfish. But I think, God forbid, she might be for a second, you know, <laughs> How awful that someone is momentarily selfish when they're a mother and a wife. How dare they? You know? This is the thing. We're conditioned to you know, see flawed male characters as glamorous and exciting and, and fascinating. Exactly. And, and you're so right. You yeah, know? and this is amazing. And my friend pointed this out because my friend writer is an actor on Barry, which is a show in America with Bill Hader. And Bill Hader plays an assassin on the show. And there's a character played by Sarah Goldberg who is a wannabe actress. And she's very ambitious and a little bit manipulative. And she's been slammed for being unlikable. But she stars opposite a murderer. <laughs> oh <laughs> but my we gosh. really like the murderer. <laughs> 
so I think it's just it's just it's been interesting just seeing that you know highlighting that disparity between the way that we like to view women and the way that we're comfortable viewing men at least we're having more of these conversations now yes I mean you've long said you're a feminist yeah do you feel it's a better industry to be a feminist in now for sure yeah, yeah. definitely yeah I mean I think things have sort of irrevocably changed in the last year and uh, there are things in place now that would be incredibly hard to go back on um, and I view things differently than I did a couple of years ago and I think you know I thank God touch would have not had any experiences that are kind of story worthy but I definitely feel that I would have had a different experience knowing what I know I would have asked about pay I would have been more upfront about things I would have confronted things on set that I didn't feel were appropriate um, not that I've got any kind of massive story but I just think there's been a general um, imbalance for so long and like starting to see that balance being corrected is really positive it's also wonderful to see actresses coming together and supporting each other and that feels like a big part of it totally and this is, there's like a genuine sisterhood now that didn't really exist in the same way before and that's genuine you know it, it it's you know it's very kind of red carpet worthy and people you know it seems splashy but it's not it's really it's genuinely how people have responded to this and it's they've responded in community and i think that's really amazing what about female directors? You've worked with some wonderful female directors, including Dee Reese and Sarah Gaffron. Do you sort of have a kind of personal commitment to working with as many women as possible? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I've been really lucky that those projects have come along. Sarah, Shana, uh, Dee, SJ, and, you know, Lindsay Turner in theatre. and They've come along with the, the best part um, and the best job, and I've been so lucky. But certainly I feel like it's part of the stories that I want to tell, um, and I want to tell stories that are told from a more female perspective. I want to see my life reflected up on screen, things that I relate to and understand. And, and those roles have just been richer and more interesting than lots of things that I've been offered with male directors. Are you finding an increasing amount of interesting scripts landing on your desk now? Those kind of roles? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> okay. uh, no, I mean, I think definitely, you know, things are moving in the right direction. And if you just look at the output this year, there are so many great female characters. Maggie Gyllenhaal, Kindu, I'm teacher, and everyone in the favourite has got an amazing role. And, you know, and they're all non very, I haven't seen the film, but look very unlikable. So. It's, it's wonderful. Yes. And, yeah, they are definitely yeah. complex. Yes. There's no doubt yeah. about that. So yeah. I, I use unlikable in quotation marks because that's what Jeanette's been referred to recently as unlikable many, many times. So, <laughs> oh, wow. Um, I would just like to play unlikable characters forever if that's what unlikable is. Does it feel quite freeing compared to some of your previous roles to, to play something like this? Yeah, it does. I mean, I think, you know, I've loved every job I've done and um, but I like that she's messing things up and she's doing the wrong thing and she kind of, you know, makes mistakes and, and is unapologetic, you know, for the most part. Um, and what I like as well is that there isn't a clear journey. There's no sort of A to B arc. She doesn't come start someplace, learn something and become a new person. Like, you meet her at the end of the film, she still doesn't really know what she's doing, which is also kind of how we all are in life. We don't suddenly go like, ah, oh, light bulb moment. Now I'm a perfect person. You know, we are all constantly evolving and fucking everything up and then fixing it and trying to get better, and that's what she's doing. Did your mother do something that you wouldn't like to have to tell me about? I feel like I need to wake up. What's going to happen to us?
one of the parts of storytelling, which essentially is what film is, I guess, is reflecting the world as it is and yeah. almost comforting people. And I don't feel that women have been comforted enough by seeing themselves on screen. No, we've just been freaked out and, and made to feel terrible about <laughs> exactly. Like, oh seeing God. all these like uh, CGI ideas of, of women, and we're all feeling rubbish about ourselves. Do you think there's a way that actresses can make a stand on that side of things? I mean, and obviously we're talking about roles, but in terms of the visual side of things, maybe even with marketing films. Yeah, I mean, it, for sure. I think it's. Um, uh, it depends on, I suppose, your stature in the industry as to how much you can you can command. To yeah. be. I just always want to be transparent about like every photo shoot I ever do. Someone is retouching every line on my face, and you know, making my waist smaller and my legs longer, and you know, and that's just how the industry is. I hope it's not always like that, but it is. You know, I think there's slow change happening, but. You know, so I don't recognise myself in half of the pictures that are taken. I mean, it's certainly not what I look like at five o'clock in the morning when I wake up with my son. Because <laughs> um, I just think the pressure is insane in this sort of Instagram era of, like, we all look a certain photo-filtered way, and it's just not the truth. It's just, it's expensive hair and makeup and expensive retouching and things that just aren't, they're just not reality. The Instagram thing is such a weird one. It seems to be moving so fast, this kind of alternate reality that people live in. I mean... Do you ever dip your toe into that water? I was on Instagram, I quit four years ago. Um, mainly because I just didn't, I found myself on that page where it says people you might know. Oh yeah. And I was like, oh, that's a cute baby. Wait, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> my whole life is so, this is so pointless. I don't know that baby. That's not my baby. Um, so I, was, I just decided to come off it. But yeah, it is also, it's just, you know, it's great. People can share what they're doing, whatever. It's fine. I don't, I just think like, let's all not all pretend that we all live 21 forever because we don't and that everything to do with our lives is always brilliant I think we're always going to put the best version of ourselves on there but I think it's just important for young girls to know that like all actresses and all models have lots of people helping them look the way that they look do you still enjoy that side of it the red carpet business and all that yeah I mean I I've gone through a kind of journey with it where I first of all fully hated it um and found it completely miserable and now having had two kids I see it as part of the job that I can get done efficiently if I just smile and move on um I don't tolerate sort of too much on the red carpet in terms of like you know if someone says over the shoulder I say I don't know how to do that <laughs> um so I try not to take it too seriously now and that sort of seems to be the easiest way through it is there anything about the Time's Up movement, Me Too, that you wanted to speak about or feminism in film yeah I mean I think you know the, the thing about this is and I'm sure listeners of this podcast would but you know the, the industry is driven by money and if we want to see rich interesting three-dimensional women on screen which I think we all do it does require support you know so you do need to go and go and see the favorite go and see Roma um when it's in the cinema for a week whatever it goes yeah. you know but you know go and see the kindergarten teacher go and see all of these roles you know Glenn Close and the wife let's you know we need to support them by actually showing up buying a ticket because it was only the money it's not the great reviews that are going to get producers to make more films like this. It's bums on seats. Then they have faith and they put more money behind another film about another interesting woman who isn't perfect all the time, but is a real representation of a woman. But it's only really we have to drive the box off this. If people don't buy seats, it's just, you know, the film industry is so risk averse, they just won't go there. And we want to encourage that. So money talks. 
Yes, right. and also go see wildlife. Oh yes, and yes. also see us. <laughs> that one too. Yes, uh, I'll, 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 film. and widows. Out soon. Widows. widows. Oh widows. my gosh, everyone go see widows. Yes, I've seen you've seen widows. I haven't yet. Oh. I'm obsessed with it's, Steve McQueen, oh. and all of the actresses are in that film. And of course, you've worked with Steve McQueen. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, it's and it's another absolutely exceptional film for yeah. him. Yeah. So yeah, widows. Yeah, that's another way to vote with your feet, isn't yes, it? Get yeah, in there. do it. All right, Kerry. It's been such a pleasure to have you on Girls on Film. Yeah. Thank you Thanks. very much indeed. Wildlife is in cinemas Friday 9th of November. Many thanks to Carey Mulligan and to my studio guests, Mia Bays and Andrea Riseborough. Thanks also to the Girls on Film listeners. Your support is vital. Please spread the word. Girls on Film is an HLA production produced by Hedda Archibald and Jane Long. Just treat me the same, no better, no worse.